0: super talk mississippi media production
1: have you heard all the rave about the new quick grill located inside the be quick chevron on veterans boulevard come visit be quick chevron along with quick grill be quick food marts your locally owned hometown convenience store wherever you are
2: this show was previously recorded
0: Weekend Gardening with your host, the empress of everything green, Nellie Neal. Garden Mamas on the radio now to answer your questions and call you.
3: Hello, baby. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome into Weekend Gardening. Thank you so much for being here today. Whatever day it is that you happen to be listening, we are live and in color this Saturday morning celebrating April, celebrating spring, and celebrating the fact that My yard is not flooded today. This is a good thing. This is a very good thing. You've heard me complain about it. I will continue to do so, but they're going to fix it, and I'm going to be there to make sure that they do. (laughs) Thank you so much for being a gardener, for being a radio listener, for being around, being being in your car with the dial flipping around, you know, as they say. Uh, You may just have wandered in, and we're glad to have you. My name's Nellie Neal. I'm known as the Garden Mama. It is my great pleasure and an tremendous privilege to be here with you to have the opportunity to talk about your garden and my garden and the one down the street that we either like or don't like Hmm, in some cases in my yard there's some things i like and don't like maybe that's the way it is at your house too but certainly in my neighborhood what's on your mind today Let's talk. The Super Talk call line is always available to you, of course, 888 808 The C Spire text line is there, 601-879-4395. You all always are so good about sending me pictures and jokes I can't read on the air, and <laughs> sometimes the occasional garden question. All of those things come in on the text line. Thank you very, very much for that. Well, let's see. I got tomatoes. I hope you do, too. They're, they're small, but they're growing, and uh, this week's temperatures look pretty good for their future, I'm happy to say. There is new growth on my pepper plants. Now, for those of you who grow bell peppers, I don't. Um, I grow hot peppers. I like hot peppers better than bell peppers anyway, but quite frankly, it's not as easy to grow bell peppers. So we can talk about that today if you'd like to. You might have a tip you want to pass on to everybody in our audience, or you might have something you want to ask me about it. You might want to say, I wondered how come none of that stuff worked. I wasn't able to get those things to grow. Sometimes it's simple. Sometimes it's complicated, but we can talk about it. Um there's no question but that this is the place for it and now is the time because guess what this is the springtime. Um Paula's here with temperatures rising in Caledonia by the way hey. <laughs> How often should I water my outdoor containers with peppers and tomatoes? Well, she's in zone 7B in case you didn't know that. That means that it is things are not as hot there. They'll they'll be plenty hot this summer but they don't heat up quite as quickly as perhaps say in Hattiesburg or it's somewhere else in, in Zone 8B or even Zone 9A, which we have all of that in the state of Mississippi and our immediate environs. Um, you know, the, the, the closest to us, the closer to us that you get, the more likely you are to be a gardener, because we tend to be the folks that garden all the time and year round. As to how often you should water a container, it really sort of depends on the container. And I'm, by that, I'm, I'm very serious. If the container is large and full of soil that holds moisture, for instance, a potting soil maybe that has the, the um, little pellets in it that hold water or one that you've mixed yourself that does the same thing, you're not going to have to water as often as if you have them in a smaller pot with a very, very, very well-drained potting soil. Either one of those can work, but you do have to manage the water properly. My test, generally speaking, my test, I certainly don't ever want anything to wilt. You know, if a tomato wilts, you've lost ground. And so that that's the first thing to understand. On the other hand... If it can't, if it stays wilted, for example, and there's no sign of blight, it's probably overwatered. We don't do that very often, <laughs> but sometimes we do. In that container, though, I'm just going to put my finger in. Take my finger, put it in the top of the soil, and when it is, in fact, dry up to the first knuckle, that's time to water, or maybe a little bit late for watering. I generally water my containers. I grow um, tomatoes in a five-gallon bucket, and I, I water those usually twice a week if it doesn't rain sometimes only once just depends on how that soil feels but it's a really good project to be doing and certainly a great time to be asking that particular question because we're all getting into our rhythm a lot of gardening really is just a rhythm You're, you you pick the time of day that you like to go out and walk around and see how things are doing um, you may like me you may be still picking up things that fell down in the last uh, storm you know last uh wind situation excuse me that came through your yard And indeed, there's times when there's, let's face it, you know, the squirrels throw things around and and the cats may disrupt a flower bed or two. And unfortunately, we had marauding dogs this week in my neighborhood. So there's always something to be done, something to take care of and something in many terms um, to clean up a little bit after. But you pick that time of day, you walk the garden, you watch for what's doing right, what's not doing so right you take the take the action or at least make a mental note to do something about it a little bit later on and that's the really the rhythm of the garden it may be that that watering comes in there maybe that fertilizing comes in there maybe that grooming the plants comes in there regularly or irregularly but taking a walk and looking at the garden every day is very very important and something that all of us can do even if it's an indoor garden all right oh that's beautiful my goodness that is just just lovely. Um this is this is really beautiful. They they're sending me gorgeous pictures, Jeff and Brenda in Hattiesburg. That's so so pretty. I love, love, love irises. And in fact the better they bloom, I have a patch of, of not quite as purple as this in, 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 as it looks in your photo, but it's a pretty one as well. And this really is the time when those very narrow-leafed irises come up. The bearded's have bloomed in many places, and now we're getting the, the more traditional-looking um, iris. That's gorgeous, just beautiful. Um, let's see. So far, six leaves. I have to really get up close to that one, Ken. I don't know what, what vine that is, but it does not look like poison ivy to me. Okay? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes you have to blow pictures up and get them up right close to your head in order to look at the pictures. But the, if, you will, if you have a camera that takes a portrait and you want to send me a plant to identify, that is the best way to get it to me because I can see it better. Okay? Okay. Appreciate that. Well, now this is a beautiful flower that has turned out not to be extinct. I'm really happy about that. Um, I can't say I can't say that I know anything at all about Gastoranthus extinctus <laughs> because it was extinct. But I wonder if they're going to have to change the name because it's not. They discovered it in western Ecuador. This is a screaming orange wildflower, beautiful, beautiful flower. If it can be cultivated you can bet that it will be okay because it's just gorgeous um they've only seen it in Ecuador's cloud forest and the last time they saw it was in 1985 that's why they called it they named it extinctus they believed it would soon die out the good news is um that even though that area the cloud forest there was deforested pretty much in the years that followed um this was not one of the species that has been lost so within days um, of western, in western Ecuador in 2021, they found it. It's really very exciting. There are, there are not that many indicators of its existence, but they were able to find enough to take some DNA samples, and in fact, um, it's, it's in, scattered around in, in a small section of what's left of that particular forest. Guess who it's related to? Mm-hmm. This is one of the gisneriads. This is in related to African violets, and it is a lovely, lovely flower. Um, it, it is the, the African violet, of course, is another tropical flower that we grow here a lot. And indeed, this particular um, – they're, they're now working on finding out where more of these are, if there are any more. But I want to know if they're going to change the name of the plant. Hmm. I have to call it orange wonder or something like that. <laughs> something, something a little bit different anyway. I think that would probably be a great idea, actually. Have you ever been in the situation of wondering if, why you didn't know a phrase, why you didn't know something? Um, I, oh, how pretty. My goodness. Those containers with the peppers in them are just gorgeous. I think those are going to get need watering about three times a week from the size of them. And the very good health of the peppers, by the way, (laughs) in Caledonia. Y'all are doing great. That's marvelous. There are an awful lot of bits and pieces of work being done in the scientific community about plants and about, frankly, how to get them to grow better, how to... uh, improve the quality of photosynthesis, if we put this in a a research or collegial point of view. Cornell University has has given us a real gift and anything that can increase photosynthesis for a plant, generally speaking, is a good idea. But if we can improve the rate of photosynthesis in certain crops, for example, those that are threatened by increasing heat in a particular season then we can get them to grow and bloom and fruit or make vegetables or whatever they're doing faster right that would be the the idea and my um my my big question is always what's the point okay well here's the point as temperatures rise on average through the years and they have and they are okay Plants, as we have talked about many times, cannot adapt as quickly as, say, animals that can pick up and move, all right? It's very difficult, you know, for that plant to reach into the ground, gather up the roots and run up the hill or, or down the hill or to a wetter place or to a drier place. It's not doesn't happen so quickly. So we have to find out ways to help them exist in that space. And what they're doing at Cornell is trying to figure out ways to adapt plants, to help plants adapt And still produce particularly food crops this is um, I love this improving the efficiency of rubesco by resurrecting its ancestors in the family Solanaceae good heavens that's not going to fit on the title line of anything but published this week um, coming from Cornell of course we always appreciate their work because they do so much in horticulture as well as in, in other areas but a whole lot in horticulture what they did was to predict favorable gene sequences using a computer, of course. The key plant enzyme for photosynthesis, in case you didn't know this, is Rubisco. I I, knew, I actually had, I knew a band once with the name Rubisco because they were all botanists. But anyway, that's another story for another day. This particular technique, if they can make this work, could in fact shorten the time of to maturity for these particular crops that they're working on increase the crop yield and therefore get around this dilemma that they're having of trying to make food happen when the season itself is getting shorter and shorter. Now, you may say, what in the world is this? What is she talking about? I'm going to give you an example. You know, peonies, beautiful, beautiful flowers. We love peonies. However, in the southern part of the United States and in in warm climates everywhere, Not all of them can bloom. Why is that? Because the temperatures get too warm too quickly in the springtime. That's why there are early season peonies, like the ones that we see blooming in Mississippi, for example, for the most part are early season peonies. But there are also later season, mid-season and later season that you would see somewhere like Ohio because they they don't drop their buds before they open that's an effect of weather that's an effect of temperature on a flower but because we were able to select some that can still bloom even though it gets warm too quickly they bloom quicker they don't they don't come up any sooner they you know they're not they're not any they're not fast-track plants they just bloom sooner and have an opportunity to, to get around that problem so i think that's kind of interesting stuff um Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate hearing all hearing from you. It's just beautiful, Paula. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. We, you know, if we don't see what each other's doing, who's going to see in my backyard if I don't show it to you? For heaven's sakes, you know? <laughs> Um, that's a good question, Ken. Yes, there's some terrible, terrible wildfires already starting up again in the West. The question is. Which would you rather be around, a hurricane or a wildfire? I, I, I want to tell you, I'd like to be around neither one, but it's a hard thing to decide. And hopefully, you don't have to ever make that choice. These ancient enzymes that they are working on, the rubiscos, are—it's this very, very exciting stuff, and and I'm looking forward to the being able to work on this as they go forward and finding out more about it because it applies this this whole thing in the family the solanaceae family it's not just tobacco but that's obviously the the, that's what they trial things on because it responds the quickest but but tomatoes and potatoes and and all of my peppers and all of my eggplants you know all of that's in that family so we would like to have improved photosynthesis anytime we can get it right right absolutely I did fertilize this week um, before the storm and because it rained a pretty good three inches in my garden I did go back and fertilize just the containers again. Um, if, if you happen to follow me on Instagram, you will see the flowers in a video today. You will also see, so there's a couple of other posts, but you will see the flowers that I'm so fond of that I did not fertilize and that is Telstar Dianthus. If you're looking for an annual flower by definition, but one that continues and continues and continues in zones eight and nine. Look for Telstar Dianthus. It doesn't look like the other Dianthus, but it has that classic pinwheel shaped flower in endless combinations of colors and fringes and all that sort of stuff. But once you get it into your flower bed, you will always have a very low edging plant that is just beautiful. And it does bloom a lot. This, this particular one is blooming more now than it has in the last couple of years, which is unusual for a plant that we call an annual. <laughs> but that's, it, it, it is not annual in, in my garden, probably not in yours either. Um, I like it because it is effortless. But I also like it because its colors are very, very bright and because of the way that it fills its space and then the plants knit into one another. You're always looking for that quality in an edging plant. Anything that you want to be maybe six inches tall or eight inches tall, the idea is that it would fill that whole space. And that makes makes me very happy when it does that. This morning it's particularly lovely. Let's see. Um, Bob's in Pontotoc with crabgrass and other stuff in his St. Augustine lawn. What is the best herbicide for St. Augustine grass? Well, there's a couple. And more than likely what you are going to want to do is get yourself to the garden center, choose a product labeled specifically for St. Augustine and for crabgrass. In other words, there are some pre-emerge, control products that you could put on there but that's not going to solve your crabgrass problem because it's already there it's not you're not you're not suppressing seeds that are going to come up you've already got the issue so you're looking for a post emerge to treat it but you're also looking for something that can be used on St. Augustine that's really important more onion flowers. Oh, and the thyme bloom this week. My goodness, that was delicious. Um, uh, I, I always appreciate when that happens because I want to thicken the plants. So when the little thyme goes to bloom, I have to cut them all off, and that means I have to go make vinaigrette, and it's delicious. So <laughs> give yourself the opportunity to put to work all of those things that you're not too sure. Should the plant be doing this? Well, if we're lucky, just about every plant's going to bloom. So let's put them to work. Stick around. This is Weekend Gardening.
2: This show was.
5: Thinking about
0: a new car? Think Canon Nissan of Jackson. This is Dave Logan, General Manager. Our sales team is here for you six days a week with new Nissans arriving daily. And we have an outstanding parts and service department ready to keep your vehicle in top shape. And no appointment is needed. At Canon Nissan of Jackson, there's no market pricing. You pay the price on the sticker and there's always great Nissan incentives. See their inventory at CanonNissanOfJackson.com. And remember, when the
3: smoke clears, (laughs) nobody beats a Canon deal. Nobody garden mama here for lakeland yard and garden to ask you why do we garden anyway are you looking for a beautiful retreat where you can get away from it all seeking to reduce stress to have a home you can really enjoy and invite friends over lakeland yard and garden is ready to help with your garden paradise in addition to being a complete nursery greenhouse and garden shop Lakeland offers patio furnishings including couches, chairs, tables and much more. Let the professionals at Mississippi's largest garden center help you get away from it all right there in your own backyard. Why do we garden? Because we love it. We love the outdoors and yes, we do want to get away from it all sometimes. Lakeland Yard & Garden is celebrating 43 years of serving all your garden needs. We're growing your way at Lakeland Yard & Garden. Lakeland Drive at Airport Road.
5: Emergencies can happen. No power, no lights, no news. Federal agencies urge you to have an emergency radio. This emergency radio doesn't need batteries. includes a super flashlight, NOAA weather band, long-range AM receiver, FM band, and a USB for cell phones. It retails for $30, but get it free with a discounted subscription to Newsmax magazine. Go to gettheradio.com. That's gettheradio.com. Or call toll-free 800-NEWSMAX. 800-NEWSMAX. This radio could save your life. Order today.
2: Bridge. Bridge Builders, previously recorded.
3: Uh, Is it time to mow the yard yet? Uh, Is it time to mow the yard? Is it time to fix the lawnmower? Is it (laughs) time? Yes. It's time for all of that. If... If your lawn has greened up, it's definitely time to get after it. If it has not greened up, but it's covered up in wildflowers in bloom, it's also the time to get after it, but mow it high. All you're trying to do is, lift you know, in other words, lift your blade up. You're, all you're trying to do is cut the, the heads off the flowers at that point. <laughs> those are good questions. Really fun stuff. Beautiful coreopsis um, in bloom. I love that somebody gave you a clump. That's really pretty. There, there It's a one of those things. There's a whole bunch of coreopsis. But that particular one is is among my very favorites, um, so I'm very happy to to see that. But what I want to know, Papa D, in the black sand, did your broccoli ever make? That's the next question. <laughs> John's in uh, in Cluckstep with an avocado. Welcome in, John. What's on your mind today? Hello. Hi. What's on your mind?
1: Oh, th- hey, thank you for for being there for us.
3: Sure, thank uh, you.
1: We're, we're wondering. We've recently heard about a cold-tolerant uh, avocado plant, mm-hmm. and we were uh, before we, we jumped in and, and bought one. They're supposed to be tolerant to uh, zone seven or, or eight.
6: That is and the realer. They will
3: take
1: <laughs> temperatures down into the into the low twenties, like uh, twenty-four degrees yes. or twenty-two degrees, for a short period of time. But they suggest. Yeah, that you have it on a dolly and move it inside during the cold weather. Yes. But Have you heard anything about yes uh, if if they're actually worth investing in it for our area?
3: I would not start an orchard, okay, because there are a few there, there. There's a few iffy pieces of this puzzle, and one of them is the fact that indeed Gluckstadt in in all of Zone Eight gets temperatures well into the teens for, you know, maybe three nights in a row sometimes. I mean, it can be worse than that, but seldom. So I agree with the idea of growing it in a large pot, and I certainly agree with trying the varieties that have been developed for Zone 8. Um, The reason why we're so excited about this is because the the industry has moved to Mexico. What happened is, or now this is my point of view, okay, but... As a as a young horticulturist, I toured the avocado forest, quote unquote, the orchards and whatnot uh, in, on the West Coast. And at the time, they said to us, we won't be here 10 years from now because the property has gotten so valuable, we won't be able to afford the taxes on it and still run the avocado farm, but so they can make a whole boatload of money selling the property, which they all did. And then they moved to Mexico. We moved a lot of flower production that way, too, just because... The, prime, the real estate was so prime that you couldn't afford to farm it anymore. I think that's horribly sad, but reality is what it is. So when they did that, the researchers, UC Davis and a whole bunch of other places, including um, University of Texas, said, well, wait a minute. What if we could just grow them a little farther north? Then we could come inland with the industry, or we could even grow them in Mississippi, for goodness sakes. So that's where all that research came from, was from the idea that we didn't want to have to move everything out of the country. And for that reason, yes, there are avocados that are hardy in Zone 8. I can't give you a variety recommendation, but they do exist. As long as they're going to tell you that they're hardy in Zone 8 and even in Zone 7, they're worth a shot. But that's with the caveat. Keep it in a big pot. Keep it on a dolly so you can roll it in the garage if you have to. I, I come from the world where we sprouted our own avocados seeds, and then built little greenhouses around them in an effort to get avocados because avocados used to cost three or four dollars a piece. <laughs> Thank goodness inflation didn't hit them. <laughs> so I wish you luck. I think it'll be great. I think you'll enjoy it. Let us know how uh, it goes. Okay. Okay appreciate you. Let me know which one you pick too, all right? Send it to me mama on air at yahoo.com. Love to know the varieties that work for people because let's face it, who doesn't who doesn't love an avocado? And if you even if you don't love an avocado, you should because it's really good fat for you. Holy moly, Richard's in Gulfport, Peggy Martin has eaten his fence. <laughs> do y'all know the Peggy Martin Rose? I hope you do. Oh, this is so pretty. Oh my goodness, thank you for showing us that today that peggy martin of course is the katrina rose is the other name given to that particular rose it's an old rose very old rose that managed at peggy martin's house to continue to bloom even through katrina it was submerged in many feet of water and still had flowers on it when they got home six weeks later so it's a it's a rose that has been propagated for the benefit of restoration in many places and also because we should have all known about it in the first place. It's so beautiful. The one in my yard has killed its um, trellis, and if you didn't have a chain-link fence, you might be in the same position. Mine's blooming on the ground this morning. (laughs) It's pretty, but it's not as pretty as I would like it to be. How about that? My goodness, Andy's got some gorgeous raised beds. This looks like so much fun to me. I'm going to tell you this, you probably don't want to hear it, but if it was me, I would come in with about one inch of some kind of mulch around all these plants. First of all, to suppress weeds, because that's the best thing mulch does for us. But secondly, because as we move from really wet temperatures, I mean really wet spells to really dry spells and warmer temperatures. We want the soil to stay warm now that it is. We want it to stay warm and not get overwhelmed either with water or dry out too quickly. So a little bit of mulch can help with all of those things. It's called ameliorating. It's one of my very, very favorite words. Thanks for showing me that. That's fun. What else did I miss here? Let's see. Um, We looked at everything. Still trying to find out what Ken's vine is, but I'll figure that out. Oh, by the way, I wanted to say this to Bob and Pontotoc and to everybody. Anytime your lawn is half eaten up with a particular weed that's not your lawn grass, the problem is actually not necessarily the weed. It is the fact that the, the lawn can't grow well enough. And in the case of St. Augustine, because it is slower growing than some of its weeds, we can sometimes remedy the situation by fertilizing it, but it's probably after once you get the weeds out, it's probably also going to be a good idea to get a soil test. Your soil may over time get a little bit too acid for the the lawn grass to really do well, and you need to know that because then only, then you can lime the lawn and you'll end up with a better result. But the anytime your lawn is half covered up in any kind of weeds. And, yes, I do love a lot of those plants, but when they're in the lawn, they're considered weeds because any plant growing where the gardener doesn't want it is, by definition, a weed. Okay? So that's, that's what I advise, advise to use. Get the weeds out of there and do a soil test because it might help you. It really might help. Oh, let's see. Louisiana iris very nice very nice Um, it looks like one if it's because it's leaning a little bit I can't tell you for sure but if it's flat in other words um, the beards don't come off the sides like like a bearded iris does and it also doesn't doesn't have a whole lot of uh, three dimension to it it's flat and the nose sticks up that's usually the shape of Louisiana's and that, that color looks very beautiful it's a very deep purple I would expect that that is in Louisiana. That's so pretty. I love that, um, you know, we we all do this. This is such a great, Sissy, this is just wonderful. We all do that, what is that plant on the clearance rack? She bought it on a clearance rack, and so it's, we think it's a Louisiana, well, we all do that. And some of the best plants we ever get come from that sort of discard. Um, I I have a friend who specializes in discard plants and she says you wouldn't believe how many amaryllis and poinsettias people throw out because they think they're dead but they're not. So if if that is yours as well or your hobby as well, no problem at all. Lanceleaf coryopsis in this beautiful picture. I love that that clump came to you. Yes, that that is one of those plants. I like it very, very much, and it will sometimes spread a little bit, but sometimes it just stays a neat clump, depends on how it's treated and how it it feels, I guess. But it is one of the plants that I love, because when you cut it, you will get more flowers. It's not going to bloom forever, but it will, generally speaking, there's a few hidden stems in there, so when you cut the flowers, you come back and get a few more, so that's really neat. We always talk about the how are you going to do this? What do you what is the reason for gardening and why? How are you going to take care of yourself and all these kind of things? Well, the story last week that was a big story, and I, I hope that you all pursued it after we talked. I, I don't I have I have a, a, a really great radio talk show host that I enjoy who for years has given. Her audience homework. I don't do that. <laughs> I didn't like homework myself. So did plenty, but I, I would rather that you just enjoy yourself while you're here. But this whole idea that most Americans, once they get to be about 50 or 60 years old, realize that they would like to age in place. Um, Not possible for everybody, and thank goodness we have healthcare workers and magnificent, in many cases, aging facilities, and by that I mean places where you go because you need some assistance as you are aging. Some of those things are just wonderful, And, and a lot of them have a great community of people, which, frankly, some of us can miss if we're at our houses by ourselves, but the national poll on healthy aging did you know there was such a thing i didn't they they're telling us that there are varied bi- amounts of preparation well duh of course there's varied amounts of preparation but this is university of michigan and i like them because they're always looking forward in terms of these things um they're the folks who for a long who who very much studied whether individual rooms, single rooms in congregate facilities like that were better or whether it was actually better to have a roommate. There's different criteria for different um, situations, but they they have studied that sort of stuff forever. However, most people have not taken the steps that are necessary. Um, as for hiring help, it's very expensive, and clearly if you're going to do that, and you should because you'll need some help along the way, you have to be prepared for that. It's also true that you have to be prepared for things like, oh, I don't know, falling down. So um, I have a, I have a big scrape on my knee today, y'all. I fell down. I did. But guess what? I tripped over my dog. So it wasn't her fault at all. <laughs> I turned and didn't realize where she was. Well, that happens. And if you if you tend to be somebody who has these issues, you better make sure that you're giving yourself the opportunity to have all the grab bars and the handles and the banisters and all the things that you need now that may all seem like too much and you just figure well i'm just going to go on and go live in a congregate facility that's great and many of us frankly would love to have a few neighbors close by in a very small place to take care of those things are possible too but if you're going to age in place make sure that you recognize that you need other things and other people um if, if you're alone if if you're actually if you're actually alone, living alone, you're going to need more help than if you are living with some other people, whether it's in a, a congregate facility or whether it's in your house. Maybe you have a duplex so there's somebody right handy next door. That's one of the things I've been wishing for. Mike in Houston. Welcome in. Are you planting sunflower seeds today?
1: I lost your audio.
3: Well, I'm sorry. Put him on hold and he's lost the audio. So, um, I'll just go ahead and tell you that, yes, if you're listening, you can, in fact, plant sunflower seeds now. So <laughs> that's great. Um, let's see now. Well, that's an interesting question. Corinne's got a viburnum that has kind of lost its top. I'm, I, there's a couple of things that can do that. I'd, I'd have to really be next to the tree um, and, and see. But it it's been defoliated either by a chewing insect or because its leaves leafed out and got hit by cold weather and they just fell off. I imagine I would not prune it yet. I would give it another till May at least before I started pruning on it because you may get some secondary growth. I was just looking at uh, the crepe myrtles out in the front here uh, where I am. I I take pictures of them because they are sort of a clinic in how not to grow crepe myrtles. And I say that with all love and respect for the people who do the work, but it's, it's, they, they prune them at the wrong time. Right now they're covered up in tiny, tiny, tiny twiggy branches, and one of them has a few leaves, one of them has a lot of leaves, and the next one has no leaves at all. And these are three in a row planted at the same time. Okay, so we can talk about this. I still wouldn't go out there and start pruning even those for another month because I want to see what's who can leaf out and who cannot. Okay, is uh, is Mike back? Can he hear? Now, okay. I'm
1: here. Uh,
7: I can barely hear your audio on my telephone. Okay, but, uh, ask
3: your question.
7: The question was question was can uh, should I start planting sunflowers now? Is one of them? Yes. Okay. And the other question is, I'm taking all those amaryllis of mine out of the kitchen, and I want to plant them. Uh, do I trim them, trim them back before I plant them?
3: I would only take off the flower stems. I would leave the leaves.
1: Okay. Cut the stalk. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, and uh,
7: leave about about a third above the ground?
3: Yes. Leave it up to the shoulders.
7: Okay, so I need to know, I can barely hear you.
3: All right, now. You're
7: doing a good job on the radio, but my phone's not picking up.
3: And Mike's in the market for a new phone. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that very, very much. In case you couldn't hear him, he's planting amaryllis from the bulbs. And when you plant them, the bulb, you know, has a little neck on it. You want that neck above ground. You don't want to bury it. All right. Buried buried things are a little bit hard to get sprouted sometimes, so leave that above the ground. My goodness, so much going on today. Thank you for being here for Weekend Gardening. Let's keep going. This is time for you to be full frog hopping right out of here.
2: This show was previous.
6: Your business may not be a Fortune 500 company yet,
0: we look out for one another because that's the Mississippi way. I'll be honest, not long ago, I was unsure about getting the COVID-19 vaccine because I had a lot of questions. And after talking to my healthcare provider, I got the answers I needed to make an informed decision about protecting myself and my community because that's the Mississippi way. Got questions? Get informed by visiting the MSWay.com or talking to one of the physicians with the Mississippi State Medical Association.
3: garden mama here for lakeland yard and garden now is the time to get to lakeland yard and garden for the largest selection of patio furniture and accessories for outdoor and indoor living areas lakeland has everything you need from umbrellas and replacement cushions to beautiful fountains and stepping stones you'll find komodo joe grills yeti coolers and great collegiate gift items The expert staff at Lakeland is happy to guide you through their large nursery stock of bedding plants, perennials, tropicals, and more. Be sure to get your soils and mulches. Many are sold by the bag or in bulk, and Lakeland Yard and Garden even offers local delivery lakeland yard and garden growing your way and serving you for over 43 years listen to your mama now and call 601-939-7304 visit online at lakelandyardandgarden.com and stop by lakeland yard and garden lakeland drive at airport road
0: Little garden in my backyard, little a little mowing, but the work ain't hard. It's the cutest little place that you ever did see. I've been working in the garden till I turned green. I got butterflies, birds, and bees, and heck. I got a compost pile
7: that's up to my neck. Oh, oh
3: yes. Somebody sent me a picture this week of their okra plants and reminded me of a man I used to work for who planted his in peat cups because he said he wanted to get them in the ground before. In, in time so that they would grow before the hornworms and whatnot, or earworms rather, came and got them. Um, I, I think it worked. I think it worked for him, but it's another one of those strategies that people may want to use more often as we are finding our conditions a little bit more inclement. One of the reasons for starting plants ahead of time isn't always because we can't grow the seeds. It's because of time. And for example, if I plant a merloton in the ground in zone eight or a loofah gourd in the in a in a seed form right now, we just have to hope that there's enough hot weather once the plants get grown to mature the fruits. Okay? So it may or may not happen. And that's one reason why we start a lot of things a little bit sooner. And I thought it was pretty pretty smart. I, that that being said, the author, Robert Louis Stevenson, brings us our quote of the week, folks. Yep, that's right. Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. This time of year, that's very true. You may not be harvesting as much as you are planting, and that's a, that's fine right now. That's a good thing. That's a very, very good thing. Um, Ken and I are still going back and forth as his, uh, yeah, if it, it, he's pulling the weed again this year. It, it, um... Indeed, it it made him itch when you pull it. I, I would say the only thing I can tell you about that is to don't pull it with your ungloved hand. Make sure your hands are covered and your arms. Um, so then you're getting that coverage away from you. And indeed, then sometimes you have to go wash the gloves. Okay. All that being said, you may want to use, this may be the case where you want to use an herbicide on that particular place, wherever you feel like the vine is starting from, or... You can also reach down into the ground underneath that vine and cut it below ground. That helps. And y'all have heard me say, I didn't. you never heard me say this out loud, but I will tell you that in terms of vines that are really invasive, I have a problem with poison ivy in one part of my garden. It, it's best to treat any of those things when they're small. So if, you, if you've got a big old vine, you need to get rid of it, cut it off at ground level and when it sprouts again, that's the time to start treating it. In my case, um, sometimes I suppress with a, a, a rock. You know, I've been known to do that. But I've also been known to reach into the ground, cut the stem, and put a little bit of table salt on the end of that stem that's sticking up. Okay, it's still underground. Not going to hurt my other plants, not going to get me into a lot of trouble. And yeah, it's a kind of a waste of salt if you don't have a whole lot of salt. But it, it really does work to suppress. And when I was overwhelmed, by poison ivy at one point, it, it helped a whole bunch. So I hope it will help you. Andrea, that's funny. That's very cute. Um. Oh, that broccoli looks beautiful. See now, that's just wonderful. This is Papa D's black sand broccoli. It's gorgeous. He's got raised beds. Don't worry. Um, I'm going to tell you that if, if it's four inches across the way this looks, I'm cutting it. What you want to make sure when you cut broccoli, no matter how big the the head is, you want to cut it as when it's still really tight and very dark green, because if you let it go too long, or let it lay there, let it lay on the stay on the plant too long. It will try to bloom, and that begins with a process of turning a little bit lighter color and a little bit yellow, and then it it bursts into flower. And you can still eat it, but it's pretty bitter. (laughs) You have to do a whole lot to it. So I think that's looking pretty good to me. Mm -hmm. Broccoli's a pretty plant, too. Absolutely is. Oh, speaking of of us old folks, and some of you young folks, too now, and I say that with great love, because frankly, I'm so lucky. Most of my friends have always been either older or younger than me. And by meaning like five, six, eight, ten years. And sometimes more in, in both directions. And that has always, I felt, given me a little bit more perspective about things. As a result, because I had friends that were older, I have known about sleep apnea for longer than most people have paid any attention to it. So I'm going to tell you a quick story. My friend has sleep apnea. She didn't believe that she even snored, much less that she had a problem or that she would hold her breath in the night. And the way her children described it, they would hear her breathe and no longer breathe. And then they'd hear her snore when she came back. You know, it's like that quick snorting sound that you make when you begin to breathe again. And she didn't believe them for whatever reason, as if your children would come up with anyway. So they put a cassette tape recorder under her bed and recorded her snoring. And she didn't believe them. And they did it again, and she finally had to say, okay, 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 well, I'll talk to the doctor. Well, she does, in fact, have sleep apnea. This particularly lovely woman was not sleeping uh, even five minutes per hour of a solid sleep. And when you have sleep apnea, of course, because of the way that, that between the snoring and the breathing and the whatnot, you're not getting any deep sleep, so you're not getting rested. And that's really what gives you the opportunity for dangerous things to happen. In this case, Washington University School of Medicine, you know how much I appreciate their work all the time. Um, no matter how many hours people with sleep apnea sleep, if it's not treated, they wake up and they're tired. That's just the, that's one of the conditions. Of course, what's happening is that you are stopping and starting breathing for instance, instances, for seconds, um, dozens, scores, In my friend's case hundreds of times every night so you can't get into deep sleep because there's not any okay i'm telling you this because so many people have this issue and now that we have every i know plenty of people that said well i'm never going to get treated for that because you have to wear the mask and the, the tube and all that and i can't sleep with that well there's better methods now there's more modernized methods just like there is for everything that that we have an issue with we're fortunate that people like the Washington School of Medicine and everybody else like that is doing things to help all of us. But the percentage of older adults with mild sleep apnea can be up to 50 percent. But if you don't have any daytime sleepiness, you it may not come to anybody's medical attention, unless, of course, you're snoring like my friend was and waking up the people in your house. So here's the problem. Where we people who are over 65 are known as some of the best drivers that there are, because we're not slow, and we didn't get killed in a car wreck when we were 25. I'm serious now. We, we've lasted. And indeed, one of the things that can threaten that responsible effort to d- continue driving is sleep apnea. So if you don't want to get treated for your sleep apnea, but you like to get in the car and go, who doesn't? Maybe we could be, maybe better think about it. What they found was that there are so many, you know, here's the thing. This answers. They're describing me. I obey the speed limit. I drive defensively. I divide, avoid driving at night in bad weather in an unfamiliar places. And I will add, I will turn right three times to avoid a left. I've always been like that. And what they're telling us is you can actually have such slower reflexes. And even your vision can be affected if you're not sleeping enough. So if you're not sleeping enough and you're not getting yourself treated for the problems that are causing you not to sleep, you can actually be more dangerous on the road. The rest of us don't want that. (laughs) We want you to be okay, and we don't want you to run into us either. So that's how these things are connected. If you think about it, most everything is connected. If you are eating, uh, for example, foods that you, you don't Y- you don't really understand why you don't like them. might be a good time to change. On the other hand, if you've been given a course of food that you do need to eat, might want to give them more than one try. It's something to think about. Something to think about. Coming up in the next hour, um, I've got information for you from my favorite book that I wrote, Month by Month, Deep South Gardening. I wanted to tell you a little bit about April and because I'm really not a bad writer, as it turns out. We've got news about your garden, news about my garden, news about everybody's garden right here on Weekend Gardening.
2: This show was previously recorded. near you
5: I'm Rex Baker with Gateway Rescue Mission every day I see people in crisis on the surface they need a good meal deep inside they need hope on my best day ever I can't save anybody but we each can be a tool God uses to change a life I want to challenge you allow God to use you to help someone else today Check us out at gatewaymission.org, helping people right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Every three seconds, there's a new victim of identity theft. A criminal could be applying for loans in your name or even selling your personal info on the dark web. Protecting your identity can be easy with LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock monitors your info and alerts you to potential identity threats. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with LifeLock, it's easy to help protect yourself. Save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com with promo code NEWS. You're listening to WFMN Flora Jackson, Supertalk Mississippi. Powered by your tree professionals
0: at Barone's Tree Pros, 601-345-8090.
7: It's Melissa Arbuckle and you're listening to Supertalk Mississippi News. Governor Tate Reeves made a couple of moves on Wednesday that provide millions of dollars to Mississippi children in foster care. Firstly, the Republican governor signed off on House Bill 1313, which creates a scholarship fund solely for those 13 or older that have been placed in the legal custody of either the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services or another qualified residential child agency. Secondly, Reeves announced that the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption would be expanding statewide.
8: There are still too many Mississippi kids who need a loving family and a forever home, especially for those older teens who remain in foster care. But today. Mississippi will take another step to help those youths. I am proud to announce the expansion of the Dave Thomas Foundation's signature program, Wendy's Wonderful Kids, which focuses on finding adoptive homes for children within Mississippi's foster care system.
7: To read the full story, head on over to supertalk.fm.
5: Just three words tell you everything you need to know. They tell you why we employ more than 2,000 workers at our factory in Virginia Beach and why over 10,000 local steel dealers are putting battery power in the hands of Americans. Just three words, made in America. Real steel. Find yours at steelusa.com. The majority of steel products sold in America are made in America of U.S. and foreign materials. Batteries and chargers are sourced internationally.
0: Why? Just think about it.
6: Students were forced to go online during the height of the pandemic Mississippi Education superintendent dr. Carrie Wright told us some students thrived in that environment we found it really struggled the most was our little ones because when you're talking about K through3 and you're talking about teaching children to read and um, you know just the whole idea of, of decoding words and how words you know phonics and things of that nature being able to see a teacher in the in person and watch a teacher's lips and watch a teacher's mouth and uh, it was a lot that's where we found that more children struggled. Several studies now show the isolation that resulted from the lockdowns had a negative impact on the mental health of not just students, but also adults. The last time we had tested was a 19. And to think that as a state we only dropped six and a half points in literacy, that's, that speaks volumes about the, the foundation that's been laid out there by our teachers. For all things Mississippi, visit supertalk.fm. Sports Mississippi, I'm Dixon
7: Williams. Ole Miss winning in Arkansas last night and knocked off the Razorbacks 4-2 to improve to 24-17, 7-12 in the SEC. Arkansas falls to 32-10, and 12-7 and 7 in the SEC. Game 2 tonight, 7 o'clock, first pitch, 6-30 is the airtime on the Ole Miss Baseball Network. Mississippi State pounded Missouri 13-4, turned through 25-18, 9-10 in the SEC. Missouri falls to 22-17, 5-14 in the league. Game 2 today in Missouri, 2 o'clock, first pitch, 1-30 airtime on the MSU Baseball Network. Southern Miss 15-game win streak came to an end last night as UAB beat the Eagles. 10 to 6 usm now 33 and 9 16 and 3 in conference usa they'll play game two today at two o'clock game three tomorrow at one o'clock in birmingham this is super talk sports mississippi
6: in mississippi we look out for one another because that's the mississippi way I'll be honest, not long ago, I was unsure about getting the COVID-19 vaccine because I had a lot of questions. And after talking to my healthcare provider, I got the answers I needed to make an informed decision about protecting myself and my community, because that's the Mississippi Way. Got questions? Get informed by visiting the MSway.com or talking to one of the physicians with the Mississippi State Medical Association. The NFL
7: draft continued last night with rounds two and three. Only one Mississippi player heard his name called out in the second round. That was defensive lineman Sam Williams out of Ole Miss. He was picked by the Dallas Cowboys in the second round. In the third round, Martin Emerson, defensive back out of Mississippi State, was called by the Cleveland Browns in the third round. And back in Thursday's first round, Charles Cross was the number nine pick overall by the Seattle Seahawks out of Mississippi State. And the NFL draft will conclude beginning at 11 o'clock this morning with rounds four through seven. The Southeastern Conference had 12 picks in that first round, led by Trevon Walker as the number one pick overall from the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm Dixon Williams, and this is Super Talk Sports, Mississippi.
0: of everything green, Nellie Neal. Garden Mamas on the radio now to answer your questions and call you.
2: This show was previously recorded.
0: Welcome to Weekend Gardening with your host, the Empress of Everything Green, Nellie Neal. Garden Mamas on the radio now to answer your questions and call you.
3: Hello, baby. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for being with me today. Weekend gardening is the highlight of my week, and I so appreciate those of you who are kind enough to tell me that you kind of like it, too. You're very sweet. And it also means a great deal to me, because as we all know, this is the world where... If you don't get the views, if you don't get the ears, if you don't get the listens, if you don't get the likes, then, you know, you kind of don't have as much of a platform as you once did. And y'all are just wonderful to me. I thank you very, very much for that. And I, of course, am Nellie Neal. I was raised not to say I. And as a result, any time I write something, I still go back and count how many I's and me's there are in it. And I take out half of them. Sort of the Coco Chanel attitude about verbiage, you know. Coco Chanel, famous fashion designer, said when you go to the mirror after you're fully dressed, take off two accessories or something to that effect. In other words, don't overdo it. And when I write about things that are that involve my garden, I want to write more about the plants and less about me. So sometimes I have to say I, and sometimes I have to say me, and sometimes I don't. Um, for example, today I wanted to b- bring you just a little bit um, of a book that I wrote quite a bit ago now that Month by Month Gardening Deep South. It is one of my favorites. It has been superseded, I think, by others that have been written for the entire region. But I was kind of the bridge. Um, there used to be a book for each state, and there were so many things that were the same, and so many things that were different, and so many things that were repetitive. I mean, there's so many things that were unusual. There's just all these different things to look at. So they gave me the task of looking at all the ones that were for the the deep south and writing the book for all three states and I had the opportunity to do that so each chapter starts with frankly my reflections they were, they were very kind to give me a lot of times when you write a book about what to do when you don't really get to do anything except say okay now it's April and then the list of what to do but in this case I had a chance to write a little bit more and I'm I have to say I haven't read this in a long time when I looked at it this week I thought you know that's not so bad Now is the time to savor the garden with morning coffee because April can be the last sweet month of spring. You know that's true. Anyway, your garden, your neighbor's garden, even commercial plantings glow now with late blooming azaleas, the first Japanese hawthorns, and it just goes on and on, talks about the different flowers. But I really like the idea that I came up with in this confidence soars this month you know you can make it happen whatever it is in your garden you vow to really keep up with it all to walk the garden daily and turn the compost as well how many times do we actually do that i hope a lot the results can be mixed because there's a lot to enjoy in april i have three three relatives getting married this month myself and here's the thing that might be the most important the sense of getting ahead can lead to frantic planting, especially if March was chilly and wet. Mm, yeah. Projects big and small get under your skin this month, too. You might build a potting shed or cover an old swing set in trellising to grow a hyacinth bean. Might get those flagstone paths in or choreograph a symphony of colorful pots on the patio. April is, and this is absolutely the truth, April is the get ahead to keep ahead month I talk to you all the time about if you don't start out by pruning the ornamental grasses in January then you do the roses in February and if you don't by the time you get to April the whole place is overgrown and not necessarily in bloom so that's why we have to continue to understand that April is the get ahead to keep ahead month I appreciate that Jim you're in Laurel are you planting by the moon sir
1: Good morning, Garden Mama. I was listening to you talk last week about the moon,
3: mm-hmm.
7: and I couldn't call because I was somewhere else. Anyhow, uh, years and years ago, there was this old man live lived across the road. I tried, He always made a beautiful garden. Mm-hmm. I tried to plant the same time he did. I missed planting four days because I was working in the oil field. I couldn't do it. He planted his running butter beans. They made beautiful. I planted mine four days later, and all I made was blooms. He said, you planted on a bloom day. I've never heard this.
3: Mm -hmm. Did he explain it to you? I
1: can't hear you, garden.
3: Did did he explain it to you? Ma'am? Apparently the callers cannot hear me talking. Okay, I'm going to tell you what, Jim. I'm going to let you go, and I will talk, and we'll try and get somebody to fix that this week so that next week the callers can hear me. I'm talking just as loud as I am all the rest of the time. But thank you. Appreciate you very, very much. Um, and and I, I will I will let you know. He, the, lunar gardening has a lot of very specific things to it. And if what he's talking about is whether it's basically in relationship to whether it's waxing or waning, the moon phase, at the time of planting. Some things are more conducive in that bit of lore. And, and yes, there's practicality behind it. But I have to tell you that it is there's there, four days usually doesn't make that much difference, and it but it can in particularly if you're watching somebody who plants by the moon, they're going to be very specific about when these things get done because of that understanding the phases and moving through the calendar. Um, in in some places and in some cases, people will tell you that you shouldn't do any of that, you shouldn't worry about it, you should you know. And I say, well, it's fine. A lot of people don't, but if you want to follow it then that's the, that's the guy to be paying attention to are those folks that are already doing all of that. Um, one of the things about waxing and waning, we talk about that that, that the new moon, the time when there, there's no moon at all, the new moon time, is for planting underground and for planting things that are going to be above ground and that you want to bloom, you generally on the wax, as opposed to on the wane, and it may have been that your that, that the moon waxed, got full, and waned in those four days. So that may that may be what explains it from that point of view. There's not enough um, scientific research for me to go and point to a study that can show you what happens and when it happens. But I can tell you that anything that's like this, the the lore goes on, and people do it, and it works. So I enjoy. Talking to folks that have done all that, and I enjoy also people that just say, "I garden when I get a chance, so either one of those works for me. Have you ever thrown spaghetti against a wall to see if it was cooked? I think that's something we saw in movies. I don't know that people did it. I certainly did it a time or two myself uh didn't didn't really work I find it's like everything else i I, I tend to do better with a timer you know. <laughs> or something like that, maybe just tasting it. But now, because we can't stand not to know these things, the American Institute of Physics has examined how the pasta swells, it softens, and becomes sticky as it takes up water, and those, of course, are the three the, the three parts of it, which are kind of the same thing, if you think about it, as how a seed sprouts, because the seed's got to swell up, it's got to take up the water first. Then the seed coat has to soften soften in the same way that the pasta has to. And then it doesn't, there's a little bit of stickiness, but mostly it's just that then the next thing that happens is the next thing that happens. And in this case... And when the pasta is getting to the point where it's um, needing to be taken out of the water, you can tell. Same thing is true, you can see the sprout turn. Okay? Um, pasta, pasta parameters, I love that term. Whether it's expansion of the, how much it will get, how much bigger it will get, um, whether it, it bends or whether it snaps, and the amount of water content in it when it's actually at the al dente stage is, in fact, what they're trying to measure. And my goodness, sometimes the noodles even stick. So they had to account for that, too. In physics of fluids is where you're going to find all of this work. I will tell you this. The, the notion of al dente, that is to say, it has a bite to it. The pasta has um, it, dente referring to your teeth. Dente, it, it has a little bit of a bite to it. Generally speaking, that is a desirable quality particularly if you are then going to put sauce on the pasta and toss it in the pasta. That's a big argument among people who make pasta and who, who make sauce for it is whether or not you put the sauce on top of the pasta or whether you toss the the pasta into the sauce. Okay. You you can do whatever you want, but part of how they're measuring the cookedness of it is that, for example, if you're going to put the sauce on top of the pasta, the pasta better be cooked enough to eat. On the other hand, If you're going to put the pasta into the sauce and stir it up and then serve it, then it better not be completely done when you put it in the sauce, or the whole business is going to go to mush and be kind of like the canned stuff that you may or may not like, but isn't going to be the pasta that you're looking for. I'm not making any bad references. If it were not for those cans, my children would have starved to death. Not my choice. But, you know, like my friend said, if it hadn't been for yogurt, one of her daughters wouldn't have made it past age four, because that was all she would eat that year. And we all have those experiences. If you've ever had children and they actually ate everything that you offered them, I salute you. I don't know how you did that. I really don't. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Ken you're absolutely right a couple of dollars is a lot of money to a kid and and no it's hard to get anybody to come work for a couple of dollars and do stuff in our yards you're absolutely right it's very very true Um, we can talk about the meniscus of pasta if you want to we can talk about the relative rate of its increase in girth if you like it does sometimes come down to what kind of pasta it is and sometimes it does come come to um, the fact that we've During the pandemic, so many more people decided to try making pasta. Maybe that be why this whole study got taken. But understanding the difference between the adhesion of the pasta and the mechanical texture and when it gets done is all very important. Most of us. Um, don't have a nana to ask, but we may have a timer or we may have a bite that we like at the, as opposed to a greater density of it or a, another piece might be something that is harder for us to understand and that is to say, are you going to combine it with something or is it going to be topped? And that's two different ways of eating it. Speaking of eating, I, I have, to, have to give the hooray for forensics. Somebody finally wrote to me this. I waited and waited and waited for somebody to finally write to me and say, did you invent the term garden forensics? No, I didn't, uh, I don't think. I, I, don't, I don't know anybody else that uses it, but forensics is such a common term now for explaining, investigating, researching, and documenting what happened, okay? Thank goodness for all of that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to tell you that part of what I actually do is figuring out what happened and where it, where it all went wrong. But the good news is that in forensics, We have to understand that some of that, of course, is the fossil record, and some of that is studying things that we didn't really consider studying before, such as the largest study ever done of bones, that is, human bones, skeletons, done by the University of Cambridge. This is the largest of its kind of medieval study. Early medieval diets were a lot more similar across across social groups than we thought. I believe the presumption has always been that the king ate better. You know what I mean? That the people that were at the top of the the chain, so to speak, were going to have the more selected and the more um, appetizing and perhaps the best of the ingredients. But peasants, it turns out, didn't give... Their liege, uh, the the king or whoever the earl, whatever, as a as a necessarily an exploitative tax, as has been thought, and in fact, as is the way in the sharecropper situation that my family and many of yours went through in 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 our history. but they actually hosted feasts as a symbol of respect or as a sign of appreciativeness, for example, of having the land to work themselves, or of having whatever it was that the that the, the king or the earl or the whoever had given to them. The surviving food lists that we have, in other words, the only ones that they wrote down are the feast ma- meals, not, not everyday food lists. So by the time that they got to these skeleton studies, what we're looking at, of course, are... What was there? What's in there? What composes the bones? And this is all the pre pre time of the Vikings before the Vikings got into this particular area in, in in England. Well, everything's upside down, and I just love it. I think it's hilarious. You probably will too. We have all had these pictures. We have all um, well. You may not have gone, but you may will have seen. Things, the celebrations, you know, Renaissance fairs, which is not the same as medieval, but believe me, a lot of that stuff gets all mixed up. For those of us who studied history, it's kind of an amalgam in the back of our heads. Not, not mine, but in the, the way that we had depicted. So sometimes we think that the only piece of food at that event, for example, is the turkey leg, which, of course, would not have been there at all. So what am I trying to tell you? What I'm trying to tell you is that this particular Cambridge study, is letting us know that, indeed, this was not the case. All of these things that you thought are entirely different. But by studying the you are what you eat notion and going through this forensic process and studying literally more than 2,000 skeletons, what they have found is that there is no evidence that the elites in the medieval times ate more meat than other people. In fact, they all ate vegetables, and when they really wanted to toast you or host you, you know, as as the, as the king's maybe birthday was coming up or some other event was happening. That's when they brought out the meats. Isn't that amazing? Messes up all the movies, <laughs> messes up all of that stuff. But what they have done, of course, um, this is just entirely different. Historians have long presumed, and we know we shouldn't assume or presume anything necessarily, but because we, but it's another case of of twentieth or twenty-first century centricism, because we think that that is the way to go. We thought that's the way they went if they could possibly afford to, and it's just not the case. So forensics has once again showed us something that we probably needed to know, probably needed to figure that out. The University of Wyoming is helping with this issue. They have now studied archaeological sites in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well. Turns out humans got here sooner than we thought. Why we ever thought we knew when all this stuff happened is because people worked and, and did some of that forensics work, did some of the searching and some of the, the discoveries and, and dating and carbon dating and all of those kinds of things. But the misinterpretation of certain sites and the, the evidence at certain sites may be responsible for the theory that we have followed all this time. It may in fact be earlier, particularly two sites in Texas and one in Idaho, comparing those to Alaska and Wyoming and Pennsylvania, there's, there's just not any question but that we were here at different times than most of our studies have told us and i think that's really interesting it it, it's one of those deals you know you may not want to be an archaeologist but you might run into somebody who does and when you run into them they're going to tell you what they're studying if they tell you that they're studying when did human beings come to the americas don't laugh it's really not settled there's really a lot of work to be done there much like gardening We can decide we know exactly what to do, or we can talk about it and figure out what to do. Good heavens, I I gotta tell you, my plan of the week this week, gotta be Jacob's Ladder Gladiola's. Stop in traffic no matter where you go. Stick around, we'll talk about it. This is Weekend Gardening.
2: Are you an employer looking to diversify your workforce? Hiring workers with disabilities is a win-win situation. April
5: is Gravely Mow the Distance Month at Revel Ace Hardware and Revel Outdoor Power. Save up to $2,000 off retail on select models, plus even more savings on customized package deals. Get 0% financing and pick your own Mow the Distance bonus. Free oil change, or free set of blades, or a free service kit. Hurry, the first 50 Gravely buyers receive a gift certificate for up to $200. Save big right now during Gravely Mow the Distance Month at Revel Ace and Revel Outdoor. Learn more at reveloutdoor.com and Facebook.
4: Family Termite is a proud VIP sponsor of the Handyman Show on Super Talk, Mississippi.
0: Whether you're a proud DIYer or a seasoned veteran, Mississippi's Handyman Buddy Slowick has the answers to your home improvement questions each Saturday from 10 till noon.
8: You run a small business, but who's running your HR? Do you have an HR manager? When's the last time you had an HR audit? Do your employees take workplace safety training? My last question to you is this, what are you waiting for? One complaint against your company can turn your world upside down. I'm Alan Jones, and I created Bambi specifically for small business, all so you can put your HR on autopilot. With Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate the most important HR practices, like HR policies, workplace training, and employee feedback. And you'll get a dedicated HR manager, not for 80 grand a year, but yes, for $99 a month. We're here to help you navigate the most complex parts of your HR, available by phone, email, and real-time chat. And here's what I'm the most proud of. Bambi customers are four times less likely to have a claim filed against them, which is why Bambi has received thousands of five-star reviews. You run your business. Let Bambi run your HR.
6: Go to Bambi.com info today for your free HR audit. Spelled Bambi.com slash info. Bambi.com info.
4: Does doubt have a
5: place in the life of a Christian? Dr. John Nunes says yes, so long as it's about the right thing. For example, our self-righteousness. He says if we doubt God's love for us in Christ, we should doubt that doubt. Hear Dr.
4: Nunes' message, Doubt Misplaced, this week on the Lutheran Hour. Join us each Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Brought to you by Our Redeemer Lutheran Church, 1799 Clinton Raymond Road in Clinton.
2: This show was previously recorded.
3: know what a fan i am of uh certain musicians and one of them is of course bonnie Raitt. she has a brand new album dropping this week and just as i am pretty impressed with van morrison's new music i'm very impressed with bonnie Raitt's new music i encourage you to check it out um the the the, the move to it Apparently came about because she was looking to get back to doing some finger picking and some of the things that I got to tell you, she does better than anybody else in the world. She, of course, is known for her slide. Um, the That's actually a bottleneck on the end of your finger that you slide up and down the strings with, for those of you who've only ever heard it. But she's really well known for that. I got to tell you, though, this new album is something. And I'm I'm so happy to see that because both her voice and her playing ability are Unparalleled, so check that out if you can. Um, let's see, folks coming in on the ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. I look forward to your questions, comments. Then, frankly, we got a lot of things going on on there today. This is really very cool. And, yep, indeed. Um, always, always, thank you very much. So, super talk call on you may want to call. But we did say that the, the callers are having a hard time hearing me, so that's something they're working on in the other end of things. Do call though six zero. I'm sorry, triple eight eight zero eight eight six three seven, and I will shout so that we can make sure that you can hear me. Okay. Now you may have heard me talk earlier today about the issues that. Uh, all of the the whole notion that if we're going to age in place, we got to figure out how to do that. And one of the things that is also in the news this week from the University of Lichester tells us that studying the genetic data of more than 400,000 adults in the United Kingdom, that's a lot of data, my goodness, has revealed that if you walk briskly, yep, mm-hmm, indeed, your biological age is a little bit lower. In other words, you, you can slow down what is natural, what is really natural in the aging process, but you can go ahead and make a little bit of a dent in that by brisk walking. For those of us who frankly don't walk so briskly, we tend to stroll, maybe for always, or maybe just in in, in a certain decade that began happening, it doesn't matter, but it's one of those things that you just have to keep at it. So perhaps there will be more and more of Slightly brisker walking. Maybe we can time ourselves. Maybe we'll do something like that. We'll we'll see. It's Earth Day, so why not take a walk, right? There's um, a lot of things going on in in the Earth Day world. Uh, I believe that I saw that the first electric bus in our city is is happening now, and they had introduced it during the week. That this was this is the week weekend following there are there lots and lots of lots of things going on this weekend of course as we've talked about here before um and i'm i'm really tickled about that i had the opportunity to ride on electric buses way way when um gosh i don't even know but in in portland oregon when they first began those programs and i got to tell you something they're so quiet <laughs> there's no belching you know it's really kind of nifty very, very nifty. And indeed, there's always going to be a use for, I think, for every kind of energy. We just need to make all of them happen so that, frankly, none of them cost too much. How about that? Tony is in somewhere. Hey, Tony, welcome in. Where, hi, Tony. Where are you calling from? Thanks for calling from Eupora. Oh, hey, Eupora, welcome in. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind today?
1: And he's right. I can I can barely hear you, but I can hear you. Hang on one minute. Let me um I put you you are on speaker. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well talked to you people outside, maybe I can hear better. Um last year I had talked to you about this time. Um I'm sure with all the people that you talked to, you're not gonna remember, but <laughs> I talked to you about our magnolia tree. And um it had a fungus on it. Um and the first year that we were here it had not I'm not gonna say like an enormous amount. It had set it had set um the house and the obviously the lawn had set dormant for a while. Um, so it hadn't been really attended to for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it nevertheless did still get some blooms the first year. Last year it got less because it had this um fungus type thing on it. You had told us to mix up this kind of um I forgot what you called it. Some kind of concoction or some some kind of spray or something to um, spray on it. Um, I can't remember. You told us to mix it all up and spray on it. And it actually did work. Um, And I'm looking at it right now. And where we sprayed it from the bottom of the tree to about, not that, I mean, up to where the branches are, um, still looks pretty good. I mean, I can see it still on the, like the branches mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering how what can we put on that to try to make it okay be better this
3: year? I'm gonna need some pictures so what I need for you to do please is sometime this week send me an email with photographs of both the damage up close and the tree taken from you know where you can see the whole tree. So if you'll send me those two pictures, I think I'll be able to help you. One up close of the damage, and one of the tree on overall on its whole size. Send that to Mama on Air, M A M A on Air at yahoo dot com. Can you do that for me?
1: You know what? He's right. your um, technical person is right. I can barely hear you. Like I can't really make out what you're saying. Is there any way that you can? Um
3: I don't know can you give this, her my email address, text, please? Um, okay. Hang or? on. We're going to put you on hold and give you my email address, and he will tell you I need a picture of the damage and a picture of the tree itself. Okay? So let her let give okay. that information to her. Thank you very much, Tony. We're going to figure this out, both the radio problem and the plant problem, I promise. Let's see. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Yes, we are rooting Christmas cactus in the newsletter this week. And in fact, because I had two branches break off of one of mine, I've got two things going. Um, This was a really fun project for me. Because I didn't realize they were going to go so quickly. I rooted some a few years ago and they just rooted right away and took off. But you just never know if that's going to happen twice. <laughs> so I'm happy to say that they did. The, there's no trick to it. But if you've got a piece of um, the, you've got a piece of Christmas cactus that you want to root, use one about use a branch about three inches or four inches long and only put about a quarter of that into a nice damp sand and potting soil mix. That'll get them started. It's really, really good. Um, talking about talking about cooking and foods and all that stuff. My goodness. So, if we want to get moving a little faster, and we should, um, th- this is a wonderful, wonderful biological age inf- bit of information. Every time the, tel- the telomeres are the, the caps at the end of the chromosomes, and it has to do with measuring those. So, this is a very specific, very precise study, because we can tell that th- that there, we, we can tell when it b- goes into senescence, and as you know, senescence is rest. What we're trying to do is keep those things from going to rest, and brisker walking can help with that process. I love that. I think that's really really smart. Some things are divided every year. You know, we have. Uh, People that are get get into such controversies with themselves and sometimes with their neighbors, but we all argue about: should I plant this? Is it too soon? Should I do something else a little bit later? Um, how am I going to make all these things fit fit into the bright way of getting things done? And so, in some cases, it is very very smart to get that all to work. And in some cases, frankly, it is simply just a matter of continuing on. I was talking about the plant in bloom that I've got that stops traffic. I love Jacob's ladder, but Byzantine gladiolus. Now I gotta tell you, there's people that will try to sell you a bulb that is not really this bulb. So if you see a clump and they're blooming, they're that fuchsia colored flower and they got really spiky leaves and they're wonderful. If you see that and somebody offers you a clump, take it, dig it up, go with it. But if you're gonna buy bulbs, you may want to send me that email, mamaonair at yahoo.com, and ask me what was the name of that, that gladiola because you need to see their listings. It's got to be Gladiolus communis subspecies or S U B S P Byzantinus. The easiest way, of course, is for somebody to just give you some and they know what it is, so you're getting what you want. I purchased mine at a Master Gardener um sale, so there's that's also another way to get them. But that flower is just so distinct and it, it is one of the things that marks the spring and I really love it. I hope that you'll consider Jacob's ladder Gladiolas. Let's see. Um this is um I'm gonna guess this is from the southern part of the state and I'm gonna say uh oh I don't know This will be Bobby and Biloxi. I have no idea who this is from. What are your thoughts about companion planting, um, planting tomatoes next to carrots in the same row because the carrots put in the ground what the tomatoes need and vice versa? Okay. First thing you have to understand is that the book, um, the, 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 the book that is from Story Press, about uh, companion planting um i I don't know if it's marigolds love tomatoes or tomatoes love marigolds or something that's a good little book it's a good place to start i don't mean little in the in diminu diminuing it diminishing it i am saying it's a small book um as a horticulturist, i got to tell you that you can plant carrots, and then you can come right along at the end of carrot season, which is now, and plant the tomatoes in, and that's not a problem. If you've left carrots in the ground, yes, they will give up some nutrients, but those, that particular bit of logic does not work for me, because we don't plant those two things at the same time. And, in fact, if the tomatoes are growing and the carrots are giving up something to the tomatoes, what, would, what good would the carrots do? I don't, I don't know. I will tell you that there is research done as recently as 20 years ago that tells us that if you put the marigold in between the tomato plants, you can, you can avoid the root-knot nematode problem, which, of course, is not a problem the first year, but is a problem the second year. Now, the people that I know who go back in still rotate their tomatoes. But to keep the nematodes out of the situation, for example, if you wanted to grow potatoes there the next year or you wanted to come back in two years with the tomatoes and you just wanted to be sure that you did not have that particular problem of root-knot nematodes the marigolds are a great way to do that however they're only good as long as they're in the ground but that absolutely does work okay I also find and there's plenty of documentation for this if not specific studies but there's plenty of, um, um, of opportunity for you to see how things have done anecdotally you've got to understand that there are always, there's always something that grows well with something else. And in my particular preference, I think the more diversely we can plant, the more the better off we will be in terms of insect invasions, even in terms of fungus spread. Because if you got a tomato, and then you got a basil, and then you got a marigold, and, then, and a big marigold, not a little tiny, cute marigold, but a big marigold, and then you got another tomato, That's a lot of different scents for the insects to have to get through and get from to one to the other. Plus, if they do get in, if a fungus starts on one, it can't necessarily just leap over to the other tomato because their leaves are touching. It changes the, the dynamic of the ecosystem that you've created in the garden, and it makes a whole lot of sense to do it that way. So that's what I think about companion planting. I think companion planting is well worth pursuing. But I also believe that diversity in planting, even within the crop that you're planting, makes a great deal of difference. And I, I've seen it, and I've seen research to demonstrate it. I can't cite a study to you, but I know that it does work. Um, go to Story Press, S T O R E Y, and you'll find the book I'm talking about in com- of com- about companion planting. Um, it, it's there are several different theories for why it works, and one of them certainly is the diversity that you include in the garden when you do that companion planting. Okay, all right, um, all righty. Anne's in Tishomingo, and she is looking for. Oh, she's looking for a fast growing tree, maybe one that makes um, fruit and and is a has a very sturdy trunk. I'm I'm going to tell you. I love pear trees. And as far as I'm concerned, in in your part of the world, in Tishomingo, you can grow better pears than I can grow in central Mississippi. I would do that because the flowers are beautiful, the fruit is beautiful, and it is a very, very sturdy tree. So get yourself there. There are several different um, choices, of course, for anything. But if you want a cooking pear, you can grow a kefir or, or a moon, but you can also grow Bartlett's, you know, the eating parent. You can grow Bosque and Anjou, I'm pretty sure, also, in that part of the world, okay? Just enough different... That's why, the, that's why we want to go to Tishomingo for fall color every year. That's why we love going to Tishomingo, because it's just a tiny little bit different, a little bit more elevated than most of the rest of the state, and a very, very sweet spot for things like fruit growing. All right now, stick around. Let's get right. This is Weekend Gardening.
4: This show was previewed.
5: I think the teacher's asleep. Looks like he's dreaming.
4: Can't wait to hang up my team For a flipping good time,
0: come down to Cock of the Walk.
4: Celebrating our 40th anniversary at Cock of the Walk, voted the best catfish in Mississippi with our grilled or fried catfish along with greens, coleslaw, and a skillet of our homemade cornbread. With locations on the Reservoir, Pocahontas, and one mile from the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, Tennessee. Catfish, hush puppies, and fried dill pickles. For a flipping good time, come down to Cock of the Walk. I like
8: chicken. I like fish. I like hush puppies. I love it.
0: Catfish is excellent. For a flipping good time, come down to Cock
5: of the Walk. Every three seconds, there's a new victim of identity theft. A criminal could be applying for loans in your name or even selling your personal info on the dark web. Protecting your identity can be easy with LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock monitors your info and alerts you to potential identity threats. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with LifeLock, it's easy to help protect yourself. Save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com with promo code NEWS.
2: Does doubt have a
5: place in the life of a Christian? Dr. John Nunes says yes, so long as it's about the right thing. For example, our self-righteousness. He says if we doubt God's love for us in Christ, we should doubt that doubt. Hear Dr. Nunes'
4: message, Doubt Misplaced, this week on the Lutheran Hour. Join us each Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Brought to you by Our Redeemer Lutheran Church, 1799 Clinton Raymond Road in Clinton.
2: This show was previously recorded.
3: Question today. As usual, Bill in Poplarville is ahead of the rest of us by a lot of things. He's growing fuzzy kiwi plants. Oh, won't that be nice? Now, they're about six years old, they're healthy and happy, but they've never made a flower or done anything. Okay, the soil pH is right, that's good. A couple of tips for you, Bill. It does take about five years, many times, for Kiwis to start producing, so you're not that far out of the range where you would expect them to begin flowering and fruiting. couple of things, though, because you are fairly far south, Poplarville is a very warm part of our environment, and indeed, Kiwi does have a problem the farther south you get with drought tolerance and I I don't mean like the spring wasn't warm enough they certainly have enough in the bank but I'm talking about July and August and September at the point where they would be setting flowers perhaps for the next year so just make just put them on an automatic watering system or make sure you get to them and give them that the other thing is that if you have been fertilizing say with a, a, a balanced formula something that's 10 10 10 or 20 20 20 or something where those numbers are balanced this may be the year to pull back on the nitrogen and just fertilize them with the phosphorus and potassium. Um, if we went to 0 we wouldn't have a problem with that, but it, it might be, you know, five ten ten. It might be some other combination of numbers, but what you're looking for is to get the second and third numbers on your fertilizer to have higher amounts than the nitrogen, okay? Because the nitrogen is all about those green leaves. You've got those. Now, the only other thing I would say is, because you've got to have those trace elements, If your fertilizer is not a complete one balance, you understand, means that the numbers are the same across the label. Eight, 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 twelve, 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 whatever it is. But complete means and the name implies it's not just a hoo-ha. It means that there are the trace elements also in that fertilizer and you certainly need those. Okay, All right. Real important. How did basil get to be so popular? For goodness sakes. I know I was talking about planting basil between the tomatoes, and I was thinking this yesterday that I don't have enough tomatoes to put all my basil's that I like with one in between each one. I don't even have that many containers right now with vegetables in them. But basil was—we we knew it was a thing. We knew it was in Italian seasoning. We knew it was in spaghetti sauce, right? But where, where else, and how did we get all this? I, I'm not really sure, but I think. I really do think that we can thank, for example, Italian immigration for, for long ago as it happened for giving us mozzarella and pizza, the margarita pizza with full pieces of basil on it, okay? That's one thing. But we also have to tip our hat to the Vietnamese immigration, which brought us spring rolls, which were oftentimes just, frankly, loaded with basil and so delicious, so fresh tasting, and also... Pho. If you don't know about that soup, you need to have yourself some if you like soups because it's a wonderful one. And the way it's served, in most cases, is with the meat on top and the the, the broth is in the bowl and the meat on top and all the herbs, the vegetables, cilantro and mint and, and basil and all those things are on top along with bean sprouts and other things that you mix into it. And if you are absolutely turning your head right now, you haven't tasted it. <laughs> so give yourself a chance. You're gonna like it. But I got to tell you if you're growing them in your garden you may want to just plant the purple basils if you want to say oh yeah i'll use a little basil i'm not that crazy about it plant those and let them go to bloom they dry beautifully for arrangements and they also are beautiful in arrangements but they dry beautifully as a beautiful dried flower so it's something that you might you you may think oh basil meh but there's a lot of other basils um, the spicy Thai basil with the little purple leaves—that's fun. They're not; it's not a purple leaf basil, but it has a purple growth to it, purple stem kind of thing. Those are ta- those are tasty. I like cinnamon basil, I like lemon and lime basil's, um, but I think those for me those are better in in tea and in 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 things to drink that might not be so soft as tea. But those are just things to consider when you're thinking about what, why are all these things on that rack? Why, why do they have all those basils over there? How come there's so many seeds? Well, you know, that is in fact the way it works and I like that. I'm very happy about it. Sapphire fibers. Who ever heard of such a thing? I certainly had not. University of Oxford researchers have developed a sensor now I don't even understand how sapphire can be turned into a fiber except that i I get that. I get that we can change things all right. but this is something that can tolerate extreme temperatures. I mean really extreme with the capacity, the possibility, the potential to enable efficiency and emissions improvements in frankly in things like aerospace, but because so many of the things we do in aerospace translate right down here to the Earth, we end up with better power generation. This could be something that could be powerful for us. Um, Optics Express of all things, this is a sapphire optical fiber. It is a thread of industrially grown sapphire. Nobody's taking your rings about, you know. (laughs) Those are not going to have to leave you or anything, (laughs) but it's just a different thing entirely. So what they worked on was finding in their ability to find and keep the sapphire from cracking, they ended up in this process of enabling the power itself to be improved. That's pretty crazy, but it's, it's just great for me. It makes tremendous sense. We now have people studying how much time we need to take off of our phones. Uh, hello. Put the phone down. <laughs> Send me a text and then put the phone down. <laughs> That's the way that goes, and of course, because you can't you can't get by without this one, we now have the perfect piece of chocolate as it is being designed. I don't think you're ever going to get people to agree on that, but that's why there's a lot of different chocolates. But we'll talk about that uh, probably next week. I, 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 if I'll get too hungry if I start on it now. This week has been quite a week. Um, we are not accustomed to seeing. Some of the things that we have seen, both in terms of the magnificent beauty and the horrible carnage that are happening in our world today. I've heard probably 10 or 15 people this week talk about hope. We hope this. We hope that. We hope for this. We hope this happens. We hope that doesn't happen. Um, and I'm reminded of this quote. It came from a colleague and a friend of mine, Amy Overman, who took it from somebody else. Uh, but but I, she spoke for me when she wrote this that she feels this all the way to her core. And I am the same way. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you have colleagues that you have never met in person, but I have worked with Amy for years, never met her in person. And that's that gives us a particular kind of a relationship. This quote from Matthew, her friend, says people speak of hope as if it is this delicate, ephemeral thing made of whispers and spider webs. It's not. Hope has dirt on her face, blood on her knuckles, the grit of the cobblestones in her hair and just spat out a tooth as she rises for another go. So yeah, it's great to hope, it's important to hope, but understand what you're doing. You're putting a positive notion out into the world that something that you consider to be positive needs to happen. A lot of times that's hard work. A lot of times we have to work very, very hard. Sometimes in fact we do get the grit of the cobblestones in our hair and sometimes we do get the dirt on our face and sometimes that's as valuable to us as the end result. Give yourself a chance this week, my friends. Plant something, grow something, and by all means, hope something, okay? See you next week for more weekend gardening.
0: Gardening with the garden mama is a production of Tele South
4: Communication.
2: This show was previously recorded.